Good morning, church. It is a dark night in Jezreel. The campground in the valley is quiet. There's no movement inside. The armed men are sleeping in their tents. Just perfect. The signal is given. The trumpets blast around the camp. The pitchers are broken. Bright lamps are now shining. The noise of a raging war has caught the enemy unawares. The enemy wake up confused. Avengers have infiltrated their camp. Judgment day is upon them, and they are unprepared. With the hope of this being a nightmare running through their minds, no words are exchanged as weapons are drawn. The cling-clang of metal spears start ringing in the air. The sporadic cry of victims are rising through the valley. Then, all of a sudden, the campground is silent. The enemy that remained in the camp were destroyed without the invaders lifting a finger. How did it come to this? My sermon is entitled, When Substitutes Leave You Destitute. Let us pray. O oh, Father in heaven, we your people come once again to hear your voice. We come because we are in need of you. Because we are destitute without you. Dear Lord, speak through me and help that your word would be clear. Help that your people will hear your voice and that they'll never be the same again because you have spoken, we pray. For Christ's sake, amen. There was a tangible tension in the air. Frustration reached its peak as their hope of freedom was once again dashed. Year after year, peace turned to sudden destruction. Living on the most fertile soil in the world became a nightmare. Enjoying the privileges of citizenship turned into a dream. Slavery developed into a reality on their very own property. It wasn't always like that. The inhabitants of the land had dominated their territory for years. No one had dared to bully their way in among them without being properly dealt with. Peace had lingered in their land for decades, but for the past six years, terror had invaded their land. This seventh year, though, seemed to promise a much worse outcome than ever before. Why? Because there in the nearby valley of Jezreel, the band of uncivilized nomads had gathered once again. This time, it was not in their usual fashion. 
This time, the undisciplined Midianites had joined forces with the fierce Amalekites and the merciless Arabs called the children of the East. With the children of the East involved, they were much more organized. This time, nothing would be left behind. Each year for the previous six years, the despised Midianites had noticed that no matter what they did to the blessed land of the Israelites, it produced bigger and better crops the following year. They had swarmed down upon that fruitful land, ransacked the homes, plundered the goods, gathered succulent fruits and tasty vegetables into enormous baskets, leaving with months' supply of food on well-stocked camels. Along with the food, they made themselves rich with the Israelites' cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Since the pillaging alone didn't satisfy their appetite for hurting the Israelites, whatever food they couldn't carry with them was deliberately destroyed. Any brave soul who dared challenge these uncultured Midianites was risking their life. This seventh year, as the ferocious multitude bunched their various forces together, Fear descended upon the Israelites once again, evicting them from the comfort of their homes. Feeble grandparents, mothers with suckling infants, pregnant women in labor, teenagers and children alike, all fled to higher terrain, finding shelter in caves and dugout dens in the mountainside to save their lives. Their vitality was drained as starvation took its toll. And the threat of death weighed heavily upon them, sending their anxiety levels through the roof. With the amalgamated forces that were assembling in the valley, all hope of surviving this time around was lost. What had gone wrong? Why had things changed so much? What was going on with Baal, the heathen god that they had trusted to help with their survival? After all, much of the little food that they had managed to salvage had been sacrificed to Baal. But there was no solution to their problem. All the sacrifices of children that they assumed Baal needed to provide rain and nourishment invoked no response. Even the indecent acts they had committed with the prostitutes, with animals, and with the dead to appease Baal was to no avail. Baal proved year after year to be a worthless, non-responsive piece of wood. A true wake-up call for, is for the Israelites. Stranded in a lose-lose situation, the Israelite nation had nothing left to do but to look up to heaven. The very God who had proven himself over and over again in their past, the very God that they had run from and traded for Baal, the very God whom they had become tired of became the very God they had to run back to. 
Why? Because my Bible tells me in Psalms 46 verse 1 that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. There is not a situation, there is not a threat, there is not a sickness, there is nothing that God's children can be faced with that is out of God's reach. Governments have failed. Loved ones have failed. Doctors have failed. Churches have failed. Anything other than God that is looked at for safety can only provide a false sense of security. God is the only refuge we'll ever find. To ignore our safe place of refuge, therefore, is to deliberately place ourselves into crippling circumstances. Little did the Israelites know that by turning their back on their refuge and strength, their fortress would be broken down. Their merciless enemies would be upon them. Fear would be hovering over their heads. Their homes would become caves with burglar bars. Their bread and water would no longer be sure. They would sow, but they would not reap. Their personal growth would be stunted. They would become weak as the weakest of men. Little did the Israelites know that without God, they could do nothing. Judges chapter 6 verse 6 says, Judges 6 verse 6 says, And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Six years the Israelites had suffered needlessly in the hands of their enemy. And it was only in the seventh year that they decided to call upon the Lord of hosts, their deliverer. It was in that seventh year that they surrendered themselves before the Almighty God, putting their selfish, stubborn ways and worldly pursuits behind them, praying fervently and seeking God's favor. God, in return, heard their earnest cry, saw their desperate need, and with gladness came to their rescue. Are you in a situation right now where you are suffering needlessly because of disobedience to God? We serve a God who does not hold us hostage to the things that we have done. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14 says, If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and heal their land. Six years caught the Israelites suffering needlessly when they had a living God available to them. A God who not only owns the world, but a God who sustains the world. Nothing goes by unnoticed by our loving God. The songwriter says, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. 
Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Six years the Israelites cried and wailed to strange gods. And now into the seventh year, the callous pillaging was about to start again. And they remembered the one and only true God. I must say, thank God for the number seven. Thank God for the seventh day where we can find rest from our labors. Thank God for the seventh year when the Israelites remembered the Lord their God and changed their ways. Psalms 81 verses 13 and 14. Psalms 81 verses 13 and 14 says, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. Our Father in heaven is in this passage expressing his sorrow and grief over the fact that no matter how he tries to protect his children from the fiery darts of the enemy, no matter what he does to provide for all of their needs, they would not listen to him. And as a result, sorrowfully, he has to give them up to their own desires. Think about it, parents. Which loving parent in here is willing to give their children up to their own destructive desires? Which loving parent in the world is willing to give their children up to the wolves in this society? Not one loving parent is willing for their children to leave the comfort and protection of their home. However, when the children choose to be constantly disrespectful and disobedient in the home, that hedge of protection has to be opened to let them out for peace sake. Parents yearn to see their children turn from their wicked ways. When loving parents give up their disobedient children, it is generally after years of painful endurance and years of trying to correct them with no success. It is with grave reluctance that parents say enough is enough. And that was the case of our Heavenly Father with his Israelite children. And now the seventh year of torture had come. And the united armies were organizing their resources for the great plundering they had in mind, thinking that the living God was still left out of the Israelite nation. Little did they know that it doesn't take long for God to hear a sincere prayer and act upon it. Little did they know that 24 hours a day, God is just standing by, anxiously waiting to hear from his children. Little did they know that God's desire to overpower the, his children's enemy and bring them under subjection was railing to be put into action as soon as they would allow him. God doesn't force his way into the lives of those who don't want him there. 
He doesn't fight our enemies if we don't want him to. God reads our thoughts. He knows the difference between idle chit-chat and heartfelt need. He knows when we have genuinely repented and without a doubt want him to guide our lives. And he can't wait to come in and lead us in the right direction. He heard the cry of his children, and under God's direction, Gideon made the call go out for the men of the various tribes to go up against the enemy. 32,000 men, eager to see their families well-fed, eager to stop being afraid for their lives, eager for their nation to get back to normal, responded to the call and gathered on Mount Gilead. What a crowd that was. 32,000 men ready to be used by God, ready to take on the enemy, ready to fight for what was right. Turn with me to Judges chapter 7 verse 1. Judges chapter 7 verse 1. And it says, Then Jerubbabel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Mori in the valley. Gideon's army reached the edge of the battlefield on Mount Gilead, viewing the combined forces below who had many unresolved issues between them. And yet had somehow put their differences aside and joined together as one massive powerhouse to intimidate and terrorize their common enemy, the Israelites. As Gideon's army watched their merciless enemies, numerous like army ants move about with head held high and with purposeful strides making preparation to invade their Israelite nation, something strange seemed to pervade their crowd. All of a sudden, they started looking at one another and looking around them with eyes wide open, with hearts racing and hands sweating. They started pacing with hands on their heads. Some even felt nauseated. One person must have asked, what on earth is Gideon thinking? Doesn't he realize that there is four to five of these well-trained militants against one of us? Right there at the edge of the battlefield, the deadly emotion of fear was spreading like wildfire throughout the crowd. Many social psychologists who have done research on crowd mentality have come to the conclusion that many individuals in a crowd lose their sense of self, lose their sense of purpose, lose their sense of responsibility, and are influenced by their peers more on an emotional rather than a rational basis. The study seems to be true because no longer did the Israelites on Mount Gilead care about the starvation they had been going through. No longer did they care about the caves they had been hiding in. 
No longer did they care about the welfare of their nation. The emotion called fear told them, seek safety. Forget who told you to gather here. Forget your sense of purpose. Forget your responsibility. Fear took their mind off God's preservation and had them focusing on self-preservation. Where did this fear come from? The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7, 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. A sound mind would help Gideon's army rationalize things. Well, God had given us the assurance in Deuteronomy 20 verses 1 to 4, which says, When thou goest out to battle against your enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when he come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. One with God is the majority. Fear can only hang around when faith in God is absent. It is one thing to start off being afraid, but the sound mind that God has given us quickly reminds us of the Lord who is with us to direct us as to how to deal with our situation and to protect us from harm. The Lord saw what was happening to Gideon's army. Judges chapter 7 verses 2 and 3 tells us, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee, are too many to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand have saved me. Now therefore, go to, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. God knew that those who were fearful among Gideon's army would be the self-same ones who, if the Lord let them go into battle and fought for them, would come out as boasters when they didn't lift a finger. Send them home early, the Lord said. Don't let them hang around so that they can instill fear into the others. When that announcement was out, you could just imagine the excited look on the majority of faces. It was like they couldn't wait for this announcement to be stated. The following minutes were followed by hurrying and scurrying. It looked like just about everybody had a perfectly great reason for leaving. I've just built a new house. 
and I have to go and dedicate it. My vineyard is ready to be harvested, and I have to go and eat from it. Wait a minute. Didn't I just get married? I need to go and start a family with my new wife. Hey, Gideon, forget this war. We can't fight these people. Look at our measly weapons. I don't know what plans Gideon has, but what I know is whatever plan he has, it is not going to work. The comments and excuses must have come one by one, frightening and discouraging until 22,000 soldiers who shouldn't have been there in the first place left their teammates destitute right at the edge of the battlefield. We are talking about when substitutes leave you destitute. Have you ever been in a situation <clears throat> sorry, where you have planned something? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> you have asked certain individuals for help. You have even got their promise of help. You've depended on them to make things go smoothly. And at the moment when you needed them most, at the very last minute, they cancel out on you with petty excuses. Substitutes leaving you destitute at the worst of times. Have you ever heard of a situation where someone thought they had married the right person. But after they got married, they realized that they have become more lonely and more unhappy than when they were single. They had married a substitute who, of course, left them destitute. Who is a substitute anyway, you may ask? A substitute is one who wasn't supposed to be there in the first place. One who is acting in place of another. We are here talking about 22,000 men who have been specifically invited to Mount Gilead for a purpose. They accepted the call and even showed up on time. But when they saw the task that needed to be accomplished... Their vision got tainted, and they allowed deadly emotions to take over and change their availability. Fear is making them willing to reap the rewards of a successful battle without putting in any work to help the battle be successful. Do you have that problem in your church today? Is everyone in church singing the battle song? Yet when the battle is nigh and it is time to get out there to fight for the lost souls in the community, excuses are coming up one after the other. I live too far. I just got married. I am too old. I have a young family. I work late hours. I don't have time. I have something more important to do. Fear stimulates excuses upon excuses to prevent us from doing the Lord's work. 
What we need to keep in mind is whatever situation God takes us to, he will certainly bring us through. 22,000 fighters have been brought to Mount Gilead and instead of waiting for the Lord's instructions, they are abandoning their fellow soldiers at a time when they most need their help. We are talking about substitutes leaving you destitute at the worst of times. Well, I guess they should be, that should be the end of everything. Let's just forget about the battle. Is that what you would do? After all plans are made and you are ready to run the program, do you cancel the program because of your substitutes leaving you destitute? Would you? Do you really forget about the lost in the world because the majority of the soldiers in the church are not willing to unite in saving the lost? Whose program are you running anyway? Gideon has recognized that this is not his program. Therefore, he's still going through with it. The Lord is the one controlling the program. Judges chapter 7 verse 4 states, Judges 7 verse 4 states, And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down unto the water, and I will test them for you there. Then it will be that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you. The same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you. The same shall not go. Gideon must have said, what? Are you serious? If it was me in charge, I wouldn't do that. But God, who knows the hearts of men, says the people you have are too many. 10,000 of Gideon's men are left, and they have an agenda. They have to get to their positions on schedule, and as a result, they are marching into battle, following a path via a brook. The fierce hot sun is beating down on their backs. This may be the last place to drink water. All the soldiers are thirsty and all are drinking water. Some are drinking on the go, keeping up with their commander, while others have stopped to kneel and drink, allowing the commander to leave them behind. This is where the values that each soldier holds is revealed. Remember, they are on an urgent mission, and time is of the essence. Whenever we are on a mission, there is always something, some circumstance, some obstacle that comes our way to interfere with us reaching our goal. How do we deal with them? Well, the question is, what are our values? Where is our mindset? Is our mind set on our circumstances or is it set on our mission? Those soldiers whose mindset were on the mission have no time to stop. They are focused on their purpose. They are following their commander. They are not going to be left behind. They are dealing also with their circumstances. 
They are quenching their thirst all at the same time as they move forward. The majority of soldiers, though, have taken their mind off their mission and have now stopped to deal with their thirsty circumstances. I've got to properly take care of my thirst, you hear? This could be my last chance to drink water. I don't know how long I'm going to be out there. The battle can wait. They did not care that their reaction to their circumstances would be holding back the battle. They couldn't care less that time was of the essence. Distracted by their thirst circumstances, they lost their sense of purpose and lost sight of their mission. Listen, church, make sure you know why you are here. Make sure you know your purpose. Make sure you know your mission and actively pursue it. Don't go through life simply reacting to your circumstances. You will lose sight of where you are heading. What those laid-back soldiers didn't realize was that they were in the midst of a trial. Kneeling at the water's edge with no sense of urgency for the mission had sealed their fate and they didn't even know it. Their lack of urgency was risking people's lives. Any unnecessary delay gives the enemy more chance to be successful at his destructive plans. The soldiers lingering at the edge of the water reminds me of my school days, standing in line for a vaccination at school. There was no rush for me to get to the front of the line. I would find every reason to go to the back of the line so that I would not get that vaccination too soon. I even tried to switch places with those in the back. Who likes needles? I certainly don't. I am a nurse. I give needles. I don't take them so easily. <laughs> Who likes war? Who really wanted to go to the front of the line in a battle when most of the needed soldiers were gone? As a church, we are on a mission to seek and to save that which is lost. Have we allowed circumstances to distract us from that mission? Have we lost our sense of purpose and forgotten our sense of urgency? Is it because of us the church isn't where it is supposed to be? Each day people are dying in their sins. Have we forgotten our responsibility? Because we are so distracted with those things that have come our way to hold us back, our health diagnosis, our jobs, our family, our friends, social media. These Israelites were so caught up with their present circumstances that they lost their sense of urgency about their mission. And their complacent actions were stalling the battle and they didn't even seem to care. Can't the commander see that I am dealing with my thirst situation right now? 
complacency had overtaken them and they didn't realize that their complacent attitude had placed them in quicksand. They were in quicksand because they were very happy going nowhere without realizing that they were actually going somewhere. They were going down. In our Christian life, we can find ourselves becoming so complacent that we become quite contented just keeping our head above water. With no urgency to advance forward, no urgency to keep growing in Christ, no urgency to develop the mind of Christ, there is no preparation for our spiritual future. We need to understand that in life, no matter what the situation, things don't just fall into place. It takes counting the cost to see whether we have sufficient to finish. It takes effort. It takes sacrifice. Lack of those things brings about failure. 10,000 soldiers are tested. 9,700 soldiers fail the test. Relaxing at the water's edge despite the urgency of their situation while only 300 men barely scoop up some water in their hand and are on their way. Did you know, according to the dictionary, tests are given as a means by which the quality or genuineness of anything is determined. The Lord tests his children, not so much for him, but for us to see where our values lie. For us to see how committed we are. For us to understand why he cannot use us for certain things. The drinking is finished. The commander has stopped while the laid back catch up. With no explanation given, a division is taking place. The genuine purpose-driven soldiers are being identified and separated from the substitutes. Little did those soldiers know that they had just gone through a trial and the judgment was set. Gideon sends 9,700 men home, leaving only 300 men to go and fight 135,000 merciless opponents. When substitutes leave you destitute and your number seems small, just remember that you have a commander who will never leave you nor forsake you. We can depend on him. Without delay, the 300 remnant are moving forward. They are not hanging around minding one another's business. They are not sitting down moping, blaming one another for those who are left. This group, filled with enthusiasm, certainly are not discouraged by the, by the numbers that have left. They are not discouraged by the numbers that remain. 
They are not even discouraged by the numbers that they are about to face. These 300 men are not actors. They are not bench warmers. They are not excuse finders. They are committed to their mission. They are the real McCoy. Those chosen few are the ones who will follow directions from their commander, no matter how strange the directions are. These are they who will not abandon their fellow soldiers at the last minute when the battle gets hot. These are the ones you can count on in desperate situations. These are the ones who will postpone things that could wait in their personal lives to help out in a needed situation. These are the ones who will sacrifice their own freedom to help someone needing immediate help. These are they who will rescue the perishing and care for the dying. These 300 men had recognized that they were grabbed out of the jaws of death and now in gratitude have concluded that nothing and no one will stop them from fulfilling their purpose to rescue others. These 300 men are given clear instructions by their commander. Strange instructions indeed. But they do not question the words that they know for sure came from their commander. Their commander said all they need to take with them to battle are victuals or food supplies. A pitcher with a lamp inside and a trumpet. So that's all they take. Nothing more. What unusual instructions for battle. The commander said what he said, they believed it, and that settled it for them. Do you know that we have the greatest commander in the world? We have a commander who is very experienced in war from the beginning of time. He says to us, my children, you are caught in a battle right now. The battle is really between Jesus and the devil. But because of the decision of your foreparents, you have found yourselves in it. In order to survive it, you need to wear an armor. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 states, Ephesians 6 11 states, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When you go home today, you can read what the whole armor is in Ephesians chapter 6, 11 to 18. And ask yourself the question, am I wearing the armor that the Lord says I need for the battle that I have been tossed in? We will not be able to stand against the enemy without following the explicit instructions of our commander who has been in battle with the enemy numerous times before and knows what will work. Whom God calls to use in battle, God does not only qualify for it, but he equips them for it also. 
God can use anybody who is committed to the task because like the battle of Gideon, he is the one who does all the work. The 300 men committed to the task followed the commander's instructions. They surrounded the camp. They blew their trumpets while they carried their lamps. After they broke the pitcher, then they just stood there and watched the salvation of the Lord. Why do we waste time not using such a wise God to solve our problems so that we too can stand back and see the salvation of the Lord? We are not wise enough to know how to deal with what we are faced with. Our all-wise God loves us so much and wants to fight for us. Because the battle is not ours, it's his. He displayed his love by dying on the cross for us. And thank God he wasn't a substitute. We needed someone who loved us enough to be committed to the task of bearing our burdens of sin. And thank God a substitute was not used. We needed someone who would not change their mind because of fear and because of pressure. And thank God, a substitute was not used. We needed someone who would not retaliate when tortured, mocked, and spat in the face. We needed someone who would not allow their circumstances to get in the way of their purpose. And thank God, a substitute was not used. Thank God Jesus wasn't a substitute because today we would be destitute. Before you knew it, while the 300 men were following the directions their commander had given them, they noticed something odd. War was raging within the enemy camp. The enemy had turned on themselves unawares in the darkness. They were destroying one another. Some were trying to run away, but were caught by those frightened and complacent Israelites who were sent home. The battle was won. Everyone who was called ended up being used at some point or the other. When someone is afraid or complacent, don't give up on them. Pray for them. Because they have a chance to repent of their ways and come to their senses and still be used by God. Today, you and I are involved in a battle. And we have an all-wise God as our commander, leading us through it. The Lord wants us on his side, and Satan wants us on his side. Our Lord has never lost a battle, yet so I feel quite safe being on the Lord's side. How about you? The question today is, whose side do you really want to be on? If you choose the Lord's side, he will remove all fear, all complacency, so that our presence on the battlefield will not be a disappointment to those who are relying on us. God can do so much with us when we place our hands in his hands. 
It doesn't take long to make a decision to be on the Lord's side. He's anxiously waiting for us to say, yes, Lord, use me. Thy will, not my will, be done. Right now, he is searching among the called. He's saying, just step up to the plate and get serious about the harvest waiting to be reaped. He is choosing among the called. He says many are called, but few are chosen. He cannot use those who are not interested in seeing the work done. He cannot use the doubtful and complacent. He wants to use the committed. Will you stand with me today and place your life in God's hand so that he can choose you for the job? There are so many ways in which he can use us. Do you want to be used by God? If you are wanting to be used by God, just stand with me and we'll pray to the Lord to use us. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, we, your people, stand before you right now. We haven't been doing right by you. We have neglected your work. We may have been doing some things here and there, but our commitment needs to be purposeful. We need to recognize the urgency of the times. Everywhere we turn, we see signs that you are near. Your people are dying in sin. And dear Lord, we sit here complacent and are in quicksand and don't know it. Dear Lord, we are afraid. We are afraid of their faces. We are even afraid to learn how to witness. Lord, we place our hands in your hands and we say, take us. Use us, equip us, and help us to be ready to work for you in these last days. Amen. Dear Lord, we are looking to be saved, and we know we cannot be saved of our own accord, and it's not what we do that is going to save us. So we thank you for giving yourself on Calvary's cross for us so that each one of us could be saved. And now, Lord, you want us to help save others. Help us to be grateful for what you have done. And help us to allow ourselves to be used by you despite our circumstances. Thank you for hearing and for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.